the way I looked, how I spoke. I was conscious because I didn't have like really fancy education or I wasn't raised, you know, uh, reading a lot of books on a regular basis. So it's not like my language and my vocabulary is so fantastic. It's all things I have also learned over the years, right? I hit the gym and I lift a lot more than many other women and sometimes even the men. I'm like, I'm a strong person. <laughs> and I need for this to start reflecting even in my head. Hello and welcome to the Iconic Women Podcast. I'm so chuffed to be speaking today with a woman who is changing the face of fitness in India. From being a hotshot banker to a fitness coach and entrepreneur, my guest today is someone who is not only challenging herself every single day, but encouraging hundreds of people to get out of their chairs and start working out. As the fitness trend grows, she is as always a few steps ahead by creating a space that is concerned with health through the holistic process of mind-body mapping. You'd think she has done it all, but the best part is she's just getting started. Join me in exploring what fuels Shwetambari Shetty to be the fitness icon she is. Shwetambari Shetty, hi, and welcome to the Iconic Women podcast. Very excited to have you here. I think I'm more excited about your name, Kadambari. <laughs> Tell like me why. I'm vibing <laughs> Shwetambari, Kadambari. For the longest time in school, everyone, instead of calling me Shwetambari, would just say Kadambari. I don't know why. I've actually been called many things other than Kadambari as well, uh, but not Shwetambari somehow. <laughs> lovely, lovely meeting you. Lovely being here and super excited to be talking about yeah, everything, everything that you've planned. Great. I want to start with asking you, what was that one event that you would say changed your life? Actually, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, that big step and that big decision I made to quit my extremely cushy job. So I, uh, I used to be a banker or rather work in the banking space for seven long years pretty much my first and last corporate stint. And I loved it so much, which is probably why I was there for seven years. Uh, it taught me a lot about, you know, people management, what it's like to be a leader and things. Uh, it, it really made me confident from, you know, compared to my background and et cetera. Uh, I never really was a very confident individual. So that kind of taught me a lot about self-confidence and mm. things like that. Uh, but more than anything else, it was a fantastic job. And there was nothing that I really needed to do uh, apart from that job to, you know, be happy, <laughs> uh, make some good money and all of that. But that decision to quit a very happy job and be able to take a risk, which... You don't know what to expect out of it, but you do it nonetheless. That was my defining moment because I wouldn't be here talking to you uh, if I hadn't made that decision that day to quit, despite all efforts to try and keep me back. Um, and I quit and I, I actually for the longest time thought I made a big mistake until of course things just started getting better and better more opportunities kept coming my way and uh, big things happened. Right. But for me, that's like the most defining moment because it's so easy for all of us to not take risks because we found something very comfortable or if I may say in the corporate language, complacent, right? We get very complacent sometimes. Right. Um, 
And we're like, this is okay. This is good life. I'll just choose this. But then I didn't know what was there waiting for me on the other side. And I took that risk. Mm-hmm. And it was a big win. So what was that moment that, that kind of pushed you to say, not this, something else? Hmm. It's a very tough question because I don't know what, was, what triggered me at that point. I just felt like if I don't do it now, then when? I think I was 27 at that point. 27. 27, 28. And I was like, if not now, then when? I mean, I know in the next year or two, I'm going to get married and things are going to look different. Because for me, I had like a setup in my head of what it's going to be like, you know, my life, because that's how I I was raised. So I said before that, I need to do something different. I need to explore. I need to take risks. I need to experiment. What's the worst that's going to happen? That I'm, I'm not going to like it. I'm going to end up coming back because I knew I always had a place uh, back right. at HSBC. So I think it was just that 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 dire need to do something different because you've done the same thing for seven years. And I was willing to take that risk. That risk and that change was to become a fitness entrepreneur, right? Actually, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that uh, change of job was to work in a different setup. Mm-hmm. which was a health setup, right? It was a fitness and health setup. But I was working there, I was moving as a general manager, right? And it was still about people management, managing a space, a bigger role, more money. Okay. But truth be told, I quit that job in seven months. <laughs> so it was seven years and then seven months. And I'm like, what did I do? Why did I make this mistake of quitting? Take us back to, to your childhood. What is your background like? What was it like growing up? Very simple, very humble. And I can compare my life to like probably 70 per- 70% of other middle class women of this country. Right? Very, very humble background, uh, humble upbringing. It was in a village called Kundapur. Of course, I moved to the cities um, much later on. But it was really about, okay, everything is planned for you by your family, right? This is how your education needs to be. This is when you're going to get married. And this is what you're going to do. So it was very simple middle-class upbringing where we didn't have too much of a say. But I knew that whatever I'm going to study, uh, I am going to get married at a certain age maybe 21, 22, and then I'll have a family and there'll be like two, three, four babies. You don't know. So that was fully set. Like from a very young age, we were very clear that this is what life is going to be. And you're really kind of prepared for it, right? You're not going to negotiate or debate. You know, in our formative years, they leave such a deep impression on us. Um, and, and in so many ways, they make us who we become later, you know. So what, what was that impression or what were those impressions that your formative years and your younger years left on you? I think I'll actually just um, talk about my father here, right? I think he's one person who's played a very huge role in my life, right from fitness, sports to the work he did. Like, I think I saw him work really hard. And... Uh, I'm, I'm emphasizing on that because for us, our extended family meant a lot. Like it, it was like a joint family, but we didn't live in a joint family. And my father was one of the few people in the family who traveled different cities across the country. Because otherwise, most of us either lived in, you know, Kundapur, Udupi, around, you know, the Mangalore um, towns or some in Bangalore and et cetera. But my 
dad's job was such, which was very transferable. But we kept moving with him. He could have just chosen to leave us all behind in the village and travel. Can you say a little bit more about how you were raised differently? Just the travel part, right? Uh, traveling to different cities across this country. And this is what I'm talking about over two decades ago. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about two decades ago. So it was very interesting. And because most of my cousins just studied there in that, in the village. And Max, they would travel like a little away from, you know, maybe a Manipal college. You know what I mean? Um, but I think travel really gives you a different perspective about life. Of course it right? does, It teaches yeah. you so much. That helped me. And I think that also helped my parents look, uh, maybe become a little bit of an extrovert. Because from where they come, yeah. there was no chance they would be willing to see their daughter dress a certain way, <laughs> hang out with boys. That was not an acceptable thing in my days. But they were, they were trying to be a little more open. And I think my sister and I are pretty much the first people in the family to have like an intercaste marriage and things like that. Because both all of you. this, yeah, yeah, both of us. Okay. That's, that's, my dad also is quite shocked. Like, how do both of you end up becoming <laughs> this way? But anyway, uh, it made, like, they saw a lot more in the world um, within the country. And because of that, it helped a little bit in the way they raised us. And we saw a lot more. So, it truly helped us uh, kind of open your diverse. Minds. Yeah, yeah, open our mind. Absolutely. You've been in the public domain for a while. Um, we, we do see a lot of you. We hear about your life and your career, the, the decisions you've made. But can you tell us something about yourself that not many people know? <laughs> Most days I wake up not feeling confident. Most days I wake up with so much self-doubt. Really? I was actually discussing this with my husband the other day because I'm starting up a new space and he's like, I am getting a little emotional about it, but fine. He's like, he's like, sometimes even he's shocked. He's like, how do you do this? Like you have a job, you know, you do your events, you do, you know, you have a baby and now you want to take up this new thing of going back to your startup life again when all you need to do is stay home and you've done it two decades you've done it um and i'm like i don't know maybe it's because you know you wake up with self-doubt and then you want to try and prove something to yourself all the time you want to believe as long as you're alive that you can do so much more but i do i do wake up most mornings with self-doubt i'm like oh my god am i doing the right thing is this worth it is this worthwhile is this you know and then I end my day pumped. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the workout, you know, that gives me that adrenaline, that push. But I end my day feeling fantastic and then I can conquer the world. Nothing fuels me more than a solid workout in the morning. Wow. Nothing. Like I'll wake up at 3 a.m. if I have to, to get my workout in because... The person I feel after my exercise in the morning is a different person. Mm -hmm. It's not the Shwetambri who woke up at 4.45 feeling, oh my God, what am I doing with myself? It's a person who's fully ready, ready and charged to do absolutely anything. Uh, I don't know if there is, you know, if there is a script uh, or if there's something that I can keep telling myself. I feel 
even if I take it back 10 years back, right, when fitness really became such an integral part of my life, I think it made me a very different person, a, a person who is um, more confident in her own skin. And because before that, I would make more effort to present myself, the way I looked, how I spoke. I was conscious because I didn't have like really fancy education or my language and my vocabulary is so fantastic. It's all things I have also learned over the years, right? Uh, and then again, my education, that also keeps like, because when you're surrounded by a lot of people from IIT and IIM and et cetera, you always feel underconfident because you're just a BCom grad, right? So there are a lot of things that create that self-doubt, no matter what you've done, what you've achieved. But I can tell you that 10 years back when I really started fitness as my profession and I started lifting a lot of weights, mm -hmm. I realized that, that a lot of your mental strength and emotional strength comes from physical strength. Wow. So when I started seeing that I'm, I hit the gym and I lift a lot more than many other women and sometimes even the men, I'm like, I'm a strong person. Mm -hmm. And I need for this to start reflecting even in my head, right? Like, I am really strong. There's nothing that I can't do. And that's when I started getting deeper into, okay, I, I you know, there's, there's dance, there's Zumba, there's CrossFit, there's running. I mean, I just need to do different things now. So I keep challenging myself. And when that physical challenge just kind of transcends into mental, emotional, and then you just... I, I grew up with a lot of comparison, right? right. And comparison comes um, very naturally in a lot of families saying, Usne ye kia? what have you done? Hmm. That was constant, constant. As much as I love my parents, it was constant. I grew up with comparison and at some point you're like, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Shwetambari, I, I want to ask you this. You know, um, technically, quote unquote, you have already proved yourself. So why is there still room for self-doubt? Why, why do you still um, go through, uh, you know, sort of confidence uh, issues or where you're second guessing yourself? Why does that happen? You know what? I realized, no, that is the moment I'm looking at myself sitting at home and doing less of risky things, <laughs> I feel like, okay, this is making me feel like I'm not enough. Like I need to do more. So sometimes I feel like I'm doing more to prove something to myself and nobody else. And that is always the truth. Like I, I would never do something to prove to someone else, except mm -hmm. that you allow people to fuel you, right? right. But now I am, uh, I'm confidently saying that whenever I try to do something new and more, uh, sometimes more than what you can handle it because you just want to keep telling yourself that you can do it. You have to prove something to yourself. So when you when you have these moments, right, um, are there people that you lean on? Is How important is the community that you build around yourself? A lot of people feel uh, like you know, some go to community, some go to family, some go to best friend, some go to therapist, right? You can choose who that person is for you. But for me, it's always been my husband, hands down, and literally nobody else. Uh, but I'm a huge believer of community. 
huge. Huge in the sense, like I have friends who, who are friends with me for two decades now, but my circle of friends just keeps getting bigger as I'm growing older. And I want to uh, add this one line before we move on, that one of the things that's linked to longevity, right, or to aging gracefully is community. When you have a very strong community who you laugh with, chances are you're, you're adding a few years to your life, <laughs> right? So community is huge. In fact, I would love to tell our audience to watch this show called Live to 100. There are many shows out there, but this is a new one. It's on Netflix. Uh, so Live to 100 has done a lot of research on these zones, which is called blue zones across the world, where people are living beyond 100. And they're not just living, they're thriving beyond 100. Every one of those from you know people from different countries had a community. So every blue zone where people live beyond 100 had a community. They had different lifestyles, different cultures, different foods, different activities. But one thing that was common was community, which is why I say that even for homemakers, right? Like, again, my mom is one, and I see so many around me who are even of my age who are homemakers. And when the kids grow up, they go through certain feelings and emotions that they don't want to talk about, right? And one of the reasons is because they feel alone and they don't have a community. You do you think it has that. anything to do with a sense of purpose? Um, you know, for because because when uh, you have a young family and you're focused on raising that family and you've sacrificed other things in order to yeah. raise that family, um, and then when the kids come to a point where they kind of don't, quote unquote, need you that much anymore. Correct. Um, then what happens to that sense of purpose? Correct. Absolutely, because then you're like, okay, what do I do now? My kids don't me, uh, don't need me. My husband, you know, there are ways, right? Like when they're out, they're out. When they're at home, it's uh, it's different. So, what do you have? And this is what's happening to a lot of our women uh, who have come from a certain background and etc. Uh, but I think it's it's about first understanding and accepting that this is the problem. Only then you're going to seek solution. Right? If I know this is a problem, I'm going to make an effort to find that community for myself. Right. Right? Otherwise, you're not. So like, which I'm trying to do now for a certain family member who is going through a very, very rough phase. And uh, yeah, that's, that's apart from therapy, that's all you can do as a family right. or a friend. Right. Uh, you know, so we spoke about this, this sense of purpose. Um, we, we've also, you know, like you touched upon this stage of life that comes for a lot of women who've chosen not to have a career and chosen to be homemakers and look after the family. Do you think that fitness, like it picks you up, you know, um, at any time when you're feeling down, can also kind of pick up this entire, uh, you know, sort of population of, of women who, you know, and people who are going through these, these phases in their life when you're wondering. It happens to all of us. Yeah. When, you, when you're wondering what your, what your sense of purpose is. Yeah. Uh, could fitness be that answer for, for everyone? 100%. I'm so glad you mentioned this or you even asked me that. Totally. And you know what? This also gives me the opportunity to tell you about my new space, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons actually for me to go back to being a startup person again or to create this little space. So it's a little boutique studio, we can call it that, right? Okay. And it's for 
this. Like, I want it to be a place for a lot of women to come in and have that little community of theirs. But in my head, I know I want this place to be for new moms. Because I know what new moms go through, go, go through because I've been there once, right. right? And I also know of stories where new moms commit suicide. Like, I know it. But yes, fitness can really, really make a difference for all, particularly for women, and particularly for women after 40. So even if you've not done anything until 40, and if you want to change things around, yeah. start at 40, it's okay. But when you hit 40, and I'll tell you that because of an example, there is a switch that goes off. It's very hard. The body starts telling you that, you know, I'm now going to probably start rusting a little bit. So mm. do something about it. And then in the 40s is also that phase, right? Perimenopause, menopause, all of that. It's also in your head because you're like, oh my God, 40. So mentally, emotionally, physically, every way, 40 is like the switch. And by the way, this is a discussion I had with a man as well. He is like, 40, something happens, Shway. To, to men. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, nobody talks about men. Yeah. Everyone's talking about women and hormone. But I'm telling you as a man that 40, something happens to us as well. Right. You know, when you talk about comparison and constantly being compared uh, growing up, did that also fuel you to do something positive? Uh, can, can comparison be a good thing? You mm. know, if it can be used to, to, you know, to help you to be constructive and to build yeah. something. Absolutely. And I want to, you know, um, give this message out to everyone, right? Because I'm sure there will be a lot of other women, particularly, who felt this as they were growing up and probably have carried it on, you know. But I think that's also what fueled me to say that, so what if I'm a BCom graduate? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's also quite a lot of education. I mean, of course, I did well. It's, it's, it's like, I can help. I can make a difference in your life. I can make a difference in, you know, another person's life. That's really what I'm capable of doing. And I want to continue doing that for as long as I can. You know, that's also another reason why I'm restarting this place. Yeah. And I feel like that is really who I am. And that's my only forte. So I'm like, if, if I know that's my forte, and if I know I genuinely can make people smile and happy and healthy, then why am I retiring at 40, <laughs> right? And, and yeah, you have to try to see how you can use that comparison to get the best out of you. Absolutely. It's possible. Because for you, it's important to identify what is it that you want to do. You know, at a certain age, maybe late 20s, early 30s, you'll have like 10 things that you want to do. And things that you've tried out which did not correct, work out. Correct, correct. But... As you grow older, you strike, 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 and you realize yeah. that there are only two, three things that I'm really good at. So, yeah, it's, there's never uh, really an age to start anything you want. Anything. I'm not saying you have to uh, start something on your own. No. This whole thing of do something on your own, I think we need to stop that as well. Because not everyone needs to do something on their own or do a startup or start something. Yeah, it's very romanticized. I think. Yeah, exactly. Stop romanticizing it. So exactly. And it's not, not for everyone. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Simple. Right. But yeah, you can do any job in the world and be so happy. So yeah, use that comparison if you can. 
to really fuel yourself uh, to yeah. do something and not let it bring you down all the time. So your, this new space that you're planning, it sounds very exciting. Um, is it, and I'm just guessing, uh, is it the kind of space that brings mental health and physical health together under one roof? Or is it more a focus on physical health and then sort of the feel-good yeah, factor that comes yeah. with that? You know, I love the fact that you asked me this because no one has ever asked me <laughs> about just blending in the whole mental thing into physical. Because I see so much of that in you that, right that you're now, doing yeah. both, you know, whether you, you might be known as a, as a physical fitness uh, yeah. entrepreneur and... Uh, coach, but just doing so much of the other stuff as well. Correct. Correct. No, but you know, this is exactly how I wanted to plan the whole journey for a member. Like if, if Kadambari is going to join my space, I wanted to understand where you're placed mentally and emotionally before I tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And this is called like the mind-body mapping, right. which actually Dr. Shambhat taught me, right? Um, while it's very difficult to just do it for anyone, I mean, I'm not qualified to begin with to do any kind of mind-body mapping, but um, he was explaining to me what it's all about and he's like, we'll figure it out as we get closer to, you know, launching the space. But more than anything else, it's something I want to deeply do. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want Kazimri to just join and yeah. I tell you, hey, you know what, these are our classes, come yeah. and just do any class, take it slow, you know, it's your first time maybe, blah, blah, blah. Of course, all that is there, but I want to sit with you for an hour and ask you, how are you placed in life? You know, yeah. what's your day like? What do you typically do? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What do you do on the weekend? How many friends? How often do you go out? What's your family like? When I understand all this about you, Kadimri, I know how much to push you on the floor. Okay. Because I also believe that if you're... If, if you're a very stressed person, the stress can come from work, stress yeah. can come from your relationship, anywhere, right? If you're a stressed person, I would not push you like crazy on the, the gym floor because that can be counterproductive. Right. Because when you're stressed, you're also, while you're at home, you're not in a great place. Your sleep is probably all over the place. So then why am I physically pushing you? Mm. Right? So I'll... I want to know. So even if I can't be a therapist and I'm not qualified to be one, I can be a, a very great coach who can really understand Kadambari's lifestyle before I make you do anything. So that eventually, in three months of you being with me, I need to be able to impact your life and not just your weight. Right. Losing weight and gaining weight is... Anyone can help you do it, honestly. But changing your lifestyle, helping you sleep better, improving your maybe resting heart rate or HRV, making you less stressed, that is the deeper goal. One of the ways to do it also is by giving you the right community in my space. Mm -hmm. Right? Like people, the, the little things that we plan to do that can make you happy, not just work out. Everything that you're saying, um, it just makes so much sense intuitively that it's making me wonder, mm -hmm. why is this not how, um, you know, kind of mainstream fitness is right now? Is, yeah. are, we, are we headed there? I, I mean, I hope we are. Why am I hearing mind-body mapping in now, a fitness space for the first time? India is not even prepared to fully work out. You know what I mean? Like, fitness is luxury in India. Why would you say that? 
practice, it's not a habit. It's not a lifestyle. How many of us wake up and the first obvious thing to do is go and work out? <laughs> I think it's about, I don't know, 1-2% of the population, I think. If, if we have to cater to the masses, we have to keep it far more simple and easy, accessible and available. Which is also what we do at Cult. Right. Right? Cult is for all. Absolutely. I've, you, been, I've been part of Cult for yeah. many years. So, so you just come, you work out and you leave and that's it. We are not going to try and figure, you know, where you're placed in life. We will give you a great workout. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's enough. But now I'm saying that it may be a small space, but let's go one step further and understand what will this do to a human being? This kind of hand-holding? Is that a mindset shift that uh, you think can organically happen? Because, mm. you know, from a few years ago till, till now, urban India especially um, is very keen on workouts. Mm. You, you see a lot of that. You see a lot of movement towards the cults yeah. and other gyms and things like that. So is something like this also a mindset shift that you think can organically happen? Yes, and it will only happen organically. You know, like the shift, the, the trend today, right? I'll tell you 10 years back. 10 years back, uh, we didn't see this kind of craze that we see today. Exactly. With, yeah. I need to go and get my workout done, right? Yeah. We see that big shift. We still have a large ground to cover. We're not even, we, we literally just scratched the surface when it comes to fitness. Yeah. So we have a large ground to cover, but... I see a huge shift post-COVID. Mm -hmm. People are more mindful now about just being having better immunity, right? Yeah. So it, yeah. it means, you know, all of it. More workout, right food, and et cetera. Uh, but I also see that this is for maybe a certain set of crowd, like maybe the youngsters, I don't know. It's also trendy, you know, going to the gym. Very much. Yeah, as, yeah. As, as a group of friends. You know, the, the amazing gym wear and actor wear that you have today. And why not, right? You, 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 you definitely can flaunt it if you're, if you're working hard and stuff like that. So it's also becoming trendy. So I think that's good. It's okay. If, if, if doing something that's trending is going to make you fitter and healthier, it's fantastic. But it's changing. And, and um, I think it's only a matter of time that this mind shift change is going to happen. And like you said, it has to happen organically. It has to. So this is a bit of a conundrum in, in my head and I think that of many others who, who, who use um, sort of not feeling very good as an excuse to not work out and, mm. and to not do so, something physical or physical activity. So, so sometimes I, I tell myself, and I know there are others who do this, um, that I, I don't feel that good today. And so therefore, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go for my walk or my yoga or whatever it is. Mm. What is it that we can do to just kind of push ourselves to 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 not make these excuses and to, you know, sort of not wait for that ideal moment to go and work out? Have an accountability partner. Wow. Okay. The only way. And I'll, again, I'll tell you why. Because I do that. We have, I have a group of friends. Uh, we're about close to 10 of us. Right. And we have a group. Yeah. You know how everything is about a group now on WhatsApp. Right. So we have a group and it's like a check in every evening saying, OK, everyone, 6 a.m. tomorrow. So there's like show of hands saying yes, 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 yes. And if someone's not coming, then they explain to why they're not coming. And if someone's getting lazy, then the rest of us kick them in the butt and say, <laughs> no, you have to. You, have you don't to have do a it. choice. And to an extent where the next morning and this is something 
that I did when I started my fitness journey. I said, Kadamri has joined my classes. She's given me so much money. I need to ensure she does all her sessions. And I don't want her to feel like, oh my God, I paid so much, but I didn't show up. So I yeah. used to call and wake them up. <laughs> I used to say, no, show up, right? I do that even now, 10 years later. But this is a group of friends. They're not yeah. my members. You know, I'm not doing any training for them. We just work out together. Right. But it's a very normal feeling to like say, oh God, I don't feel like working out today. Very few people like us who only will wake up to work out. Right? Because for us, it's, it's, our, it's our fuel. Like I cannot start my day with just coffee. I need workout and then coffee. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, so yeah, I have a group of friends who like working out, but they can easily say, I had a late night, so I'll not show up. Only when it's sleep, I will say prioritize sleep. But if you're awake and you're getting lazy, no, yeah. get yeah. up and get out. So having an accountability partner can do wonders. Uh, not sure if it should be your partner <laughs> because you're always going to end up fighting it out with your partner and saying, no, I'm not coming today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, And there's a lot of other kinds of accountability there in any yes, case. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if you have that one friend, two friends, three friends, your gym you know, group, it can do wonders. You won't bunk because you look forward. Like a lot of my group, they, they say that we actually come for the coffee after workout. You know, because this is what we like. You mentioned that that your husband is someone that you speak to a lot, and mm -hmm. that's someone who you who you lean on, right? Yeah. For all these years, um, you are also very active with your career, and you know, constantly doing new things. You're coming up with a new space, etc. Uh, and you and you're a mom, so th there's obviously a lot on your plate. Mm -mm. Um, how do you and your husband balance all of these things out? And does that mean that you guys need to sometimes take uh, maybe unconventional decisions? How do you do it? Yeah, you're, 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 you pretty much answered everything also. <laughs> because uh, we do, we just split everything 50-50 in the sense our responsibilities for the house, for the baby, everything is very beautifully split. Like when I started Tribe, uh, Vivek, of course, he, he was working all this, you know, from whenever he was working, he just kept working and uh, he was, he had obviously a great job, which took care of us very, very well. So I was doing the startup then, this is a decade ago. Then when the baby happened and COVID and all of that, um, he decided to become a full-time father mm -hmm. and I went back to work. Because he's like, look, you already have a very strong, you know, like a job and it's it's what you love doing. Yeah. And I'm still figuring things out. But he's like, you go, you know, uh, do the same and I'll be here to take care of the baby. And that was it. I mean, he just became a full-time father for a while. When our daughter started going to like a full-time daycare, which is like a 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at mm -hmm. one year, 10 months, um, he started getting into some other stuff. So now both of us are startup mode in the sense okay. he has his healthy meal subscription company uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm of course with cult and I'll continue to do that and start this little new experiment that I'm going to do. But we're very clear, he, he's got the morning duty with the daughter 
because I'm at the gym. He wakes her up, brushes her teeth, gives her a bath, figures out what she has to wear. But my three-year-old is quite thing like she knows what she wants to wear. Already. She wears it the previous night. <laughs> She's like taken her clothes, put it on the right place, and she's okay. this is what I'm wearing tomorrow. Yeah. And anyway, all that. He feeds her breakfast, uh, then plays a little bit, and then he drops her to school and comes back and goes on with his life for, for the day. Then the evening shift is like mine, where we go together to pick her up, of course. And then I spend a lot of the evening time with her where we play, we do little, little things together. I feel it's so important to have that, that partner who can just support you everywhere, everywhere. You know, not just financially or a shoulder to cry on or talk to, right? Like everything else at home, everything, you know? And especially uh, when, you, when there's a baby in the whole scene. Yeah then it becomes quite a lot for a mother to do it all alone. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's a full-time mom or a working mom, it's still quite hard. And I would still always urge, you know, that we try to do a lot of it 50-50. So when your husband took this decision uh, to quit his job and to become a full-time father, that's not something we hear of a lot no. in India, right? I, no. I think that's very, very rare still. Yeah. Uh, what were the reactions of family or friends. Mom. Yeah. My mom, I think, almost <laughs> cried. She's like, what? She's like, she couldn't come to terms with it. I, even today, she hasn't come to terms with it. But she's like, you, you are not going to listen to me. She's like, why would you, you know, poor thing, she would say that yeah. to Vivek. She's like, poor thing. He has to take care of Yona. And I'm like, wait, he's the father. Who else is going to take care yeah. of her? I mean... Mother, yes, but why not the father? Why not, yeah. Like why, we're not, we're talking about parenting. We're not saying mothering and fathering, right? We're, we're talking about parenting. It has to be that way. It shouldn't be any other way. I really didn't care about what anyone had to say and he couldn't be worried about anything or anybody. Mm. It's going to take us forever before we find it normal for the father to be a full-time father. And there comes this time in our lives when um, our parents need help. There's a lot going on in Korea. Kids are growing up. There's, there's home and there's everything else to look after. How do you approach that? You know, how do you approach being a caregiver to your parents? Yeah. You know, it's very difficult. I want to start by saying that and not, you know, yeah. be very heroic about it. Uh, but again, I'm those, one of those people who, do, who, who does not take too much stress about anything. So I think that's helping me sail through because uh, I have parents, both of them, who live on their own, but they're both very sick in the sense. My dad is diabetic and uh, very badly diabetic, like he's on insulin. He's a heart patient uh, and he's now a cancer survivor, mm. right? So imagine the three lethal lifestyle diseases, not even lifestyle, it's like the worst disease you have, like three lethal ones and he's 75 now, okay? Uh, and then my mom recently with Parkinson's. And I try so hard to get them to move to stay with me. One of the options, mm -hmm. you know, you would always want to give your parents. And they try every trick in the book to avoid. And now I've come to a conclusion that they just, they want to be in their comfort space, mm -hmm. which is in the village back home. But 
what I've understood is first for everybody watching, listening, for for our parents, right? Care does not always mean that you need to get them to live with you, take care of them, you know, feed them, eat with them. No. It can mean just one phone call every single day. And that can that can just make them sleep better. Mm-hmm. I make more effort with my parents after having a child than I did before because I look at it very differently now. But then I ensure that every single day, one phone call goes to them, just a hi. It could be like a 30-second conversation. Yeah. But it's there, right? But above all, I think we need to be very uh, open to the fact that they may need help. They may, they may not want to take that help and you should be okay with that. Like today, after doing multiple attempts, I'm there for them when they need me. I don't force myself into their lives. And this has got nothing to do with love, right? You, you love them. You'll always be protective. But you need to understand that space. So what I'm trying to say here is that you need to understand what works for your parent or parent. And then just work around it. There's absolutely no point stressing. Old age is difficult, period. Yeah. You learn to figure your life around your old parents and start to accept the fact that, yeah, you know, things are going to go wrong. At some point, we are going to lose them and you have to start accepting that. Mm. And for me to see my parents be so strong despite all that they go through is it gives me a lot of inspiration, you know. But having said that, one of my greatest fear is also not being able to age gracefully. What, is, what does aging gracefully mean to you? Not having any diseases. <laughs> not having knee replacement issues or back problem. Being able to get up and walk freely. Mm-hmm. Trying to have pain-free movement as long as you live, which my grandfather did. Which my grandmother, even today, my mom, my mother's mother, she's 96 and she's fairly good. Aging gracefully is a privilege denied to many. Let's also accept that, right? A lot of the deaths happen because of falls. Falls happen because you're not strong enough anymore. Your joints have weakened. The muscle has all died down. Why are you not strong? Because you've done nothing to be strong. Mm. I want to tell everybody... If you, even at 40 or even at 50 or even at 60, if you start training, you know, to build some strength in that body of yours, you will be able to age gracefully. Pritambari, we all do what we do and we spend decades doing it. And in your case, you've kind of very passionately built multiple different things. Uh, What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Why are you doing everything that you're doing? I want to be that woman who's done a lot for women's health and fitness. Younger women in their 20s and etc. I told you, not, not just my cousins, but even other younger women who maybe follow me in social media or, you know, come to classes and stuff and who I meet and they're mm. inspired. Mm. They're like, you know, it's nice to see that at 40 and 43, you've taken such good care of yourself. It's so inspiring. And, you know, we would like to be like that. And then the answer is simple. You've already started at 20, 25. You're definitely going to be better than this yeah. when you're 40. So that's what I, I, I just want, you know, to really influence 
today, the women are 40 and otherwise all the younger women. And I want them to say that, yeah, Shwe's made a difference and helped us get fitter and healthier and, you know, really taught us what strength means and what it means when you grow older. Mm -hmm. Who is the woman that really inspires you? There are many. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, if you had to and say you, one yeah. or a couple. No, but a lot of... Um, so I... I know the answer expected will probably be someone in the sports space, right? But I do have, like, right from P.T. Usha, I can right. say, Mirabai Channu to, you know, um, Mary Com and all of that. But one of my oldest is, of course, Steffi Graf from the sports space. Yeah. And I, I think, like, as I grew up, I watched her play because my dad played a lot of tennis and no. we both enjoyed watching Steffi Graf play. Having said that, I do want to bring up one name who um, deeply inspires me for other reasons, right? Not fitness or sports. Uh, Chanel, Coco Chanel. Wow. KPL, yes. Now, she's, of course, we all know the founder of the brand Chanel. Of course. Uh, a luxury brand. But in one line, I'll tell you why I really am inspired by her because she's someone who thoroughly... Uh, used, I don't know, her talent, her her life to do something so impactful and meaningful and anything. We can, we can call it anything, right? Meaningful or impactful or beautiful. She was born to a very poor family. Yeah. You know the story. Yes. <laughs> uh, mother passed away at a very small age. She was sent to an orphanage. I mean, what are the odds that you become one of the fashion icons of the world. And one of the most influential women that's ever lived. Ever. One of the most influential <laughs> yeah. women that's it's ever crazy. lived. Oh my God. Like, what are the odds? That story for me is like, it gives me goosebumps. I'm sure there are many stories like that, but that is next level, like self-confidence, motivation, amount of grit and determination and discipline. And also that, will to keep going, that desire, that, you know, that that deep desire that you really want to do something with your life. Also, you know, to take something really basic, like the coarse cloth that was given to them in, yeah. in, the, in their uh, convent where she yeah. was growing up, and then to craft that into something that could be, you know, sort of really ultra luxury, yeah. some Imagine. of the most beautiful sort of tailoring in the world, just to take that and make it something so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah, she made clothing luxurious and comfortable yeah right yeah and built an empire and flattering and flattering yes oh my god yeah so chanel it is okay and Super. yeah i love her perfumes that's all i can afford <laughs> <laughs> okay so what we're going to do is we're going to dress you up as coco chanel so are Yay. you ready for that thrilled okay awesome. once in a lifetime opportunity yeah <laughs> let's let's do it and after this interactive session here's a bit that's quite close to my heart and something unique to this podcast this is where i style our guest and transform her into her role model as you just heard chwetambari's iconic woman is the fashion legend coco chanel someone whose story inspires her deeply to watch me style chwetambari as coco head to our youtube channel and check out the transformation I hope you love it. Pritambari, thank you so much for being on the Iconic Women podcast. It's been amazing to talk to you, to listen to your story. Um, thank you so much for coming. Absolute pleasure. I've 
enjoyed every second of being here and talking <laughs> to you, Kadambari. Uh, yeah, just like constantly looking at your big, beautiful eyes. And, <laughs> yeah, it's it was nice. It yeah. Some at some point, I got emotional and I could see your eyes going moist. So it's nice. We really connected, and I hope everybody else connects with us as much. I hope so too. <laughs> And with that, we close this episode. I hope you enjoyed this session with stories straight from the heart. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch super inspiring narratives of more iconic women. Every new episode drops on Friday at 6 p.m.